rescue the world. He has intentionally designed it so that we would encourage one another and push one another and strive one another forward. And so um, we desire to live. Um, we want to learn. We do that primarily through um, corporately through Sunday morning. This morning we gather together. We're going to study his word. That's why our service is structured the way it's structured. Um, it's not just that I don't like one song at the end. It's that um, we get a couple songs to take a second and take a deep breath and to leave all the stuff that we've experienced this morning, all the hassle of getting here, all the trials that it's taken to get to where you are right now and to take a deep breath and to center ourselves and focus our hearts on preparing to learn from his word. And then we're going to study his word and then we're going to have three songs at the end as an opportunity for us to respond to what the Lord has shown us hopefully out of his word. And so um, the reason... We do that is there's a, there's a story in the Bible that Jesus tells about a sower that goes out to sow, a farmer that plants all his seed, and the seed that always bothers me the most, and there's a lot of it that bothers me, but when he throws the seed out and lands on the ground, this says the bird comes by and snatches it away, and he talks about the enemy comes and his desire is to pluck away the truth of the, the word of God that's being planted in your life. And so um, I feel like sometimes we, we wrap it up, we have a song, and we're out, and we're going to lunch, and we're moving right back along with our day, and that's exactly what the enemy wants. He doesn't want you to take a second and let the word um, sink deep into your life. And so that's how we do that. Um, our desire is to serve here. The Lord's planted us in Valonia, and so we want to serve Valonia. Um, we want to find ways that we can do that um, better. We don't only, only serve Valonia, we serve here. There are countless people that um, give of their time so that this is a possibility. Um, we, have, we have people that that set up and all of you help tear down. We have folks that are in the in the nursery right now loving our babies and people that volunteer to come early and to do the music. And so there's lots of opportunities to serve both within the valley but then also in our community at large. And then ultimately, our desire is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and we want to go there. And so um, that's kind of... Um, that's sort of the, the message and the direction the Lord has given us to do that. Live, learn, serve here, and ultimately um, go there. We have several people that we are loving on um, that are engaging for us and, not, and allowing us to partner with them um, in new adventures around the world. And so um, before I forget today, being Memorial Day, we wanted, we wanted to certainly um, honor um, all that this day stands for. We have a table back there. There's a little um, frame and you can look at it. Um, and there's some little army men that are on the back. We want, to take, want you to take one home, um, set it somewhere that you will see it. And so that when people ask you, why do you have a toy army man on your dashboard? Um, you, can, you can remind them this is so that I will remember to pray both for those um, that are currently serving and those families who have lost people um, in that. And so, um, like I said, during prayer, there's also countless people that have given their lives for us to have an opportunity to have his word. There's, um, it is not just, uh, it is, has not just floated through history easily to get to us. There has been many, many people who have sacrificed their lives so that we can have that. And so we want to honor and remember all of those who have sacrificed both for our freedom as Americans, but also as our, uh, the opportunity we have to have his word in our lives. All right, let me pray for just a second, mainly for me, and, and we'll dig in. Lord, I love you. I thank you um, for who you are. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this body of believers we get to chase you with. Uh, my prayer is that you would give me your message and not mine, and that your, um, your truths would um, be those that sink in deep into our hearts. And so it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, all right, so um, if you have Bible, Genesis 2, we're going to look at that this morning. I... Um, I was supposed to get to do this last week, and then um, all weekend, I just, I don't even know, it was awful. I have never had headaches like that, and I had fever, and I was sick, and 
It was great. Um, and so um, I certainly appreciate Fish being able to fill in for me um, last minute. The um, only downer I see to all of this is today is my, um, my 12th anniversary. Um, I married my lovely wife 12 years ago. Really, she married me. She, um, there was like, yeah, she, she married me. So I got her young before she knew what she was doing. It was good. And, um, and so here's the bummer um, of being sick last week. Because this passage we're going to look at is the first wedding that the Bible talks so about. And, and so and we get to discuss all the things that the text is going to teach us about marriage. And so it's just like a great anniversary gift for my wife to have to sit over there and listen to me talk about marriage. So, so um, don't ask her about how well I do in these categories afterwards. So it'll be good. All right. I'm just going to spill it. I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. All right. So Genesis 2. So we'll do, we'll look at it a little bit, and then we'll see what the text tells us. It says in verse 18, the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Let's just pause for a second and catch up. Remember last week we, or last time I was here, we saw this, God started speaking the earth into creation. And we talked about how the word of God is, is a power all its own. It's, it's the personhood of Jesus. And we saw the spirit that was there fluttering over the water, and that the whole trinity was there. And so then the perfect community, they speak into existence um, out of their love for one another. And so love is not something that was created like time. Love is something that has been and is one of the foundations of the entire world. And so God is speaking through all of the things. And if we, we didn't read through the whole passage, but had we, we would have seen him put the sun and the moon and the sky and the animals on the planet and the, or the grass and the mountains and the waters and everything. And each time, it's, remember it said it was good. And the Lord saw this and it was good. And he saw that and it was good. And then all of a sudden, now in chapter 2, we get a little more in-depth look. It's not a different story. It's a little closer look at the story. And so we see God interacting with the man that he created. And so now, and just to sum up the first half, Adam has been working the garden. It's not been something like we would think of work. It's not like he hated his job. He loved his job. It was beautiful. It was fun. He lives in paradise. Um, the garden is amazing. And he's, his job was naming animals. I think that's awesome. Like, he's just like, I just, in my mind, I feel like he did the big ones first. You know, they're like, what is that? Hippopotamus, right? And then by the end, when his creativity is just like gone, he's like, it's a cat, <laughs> you know, right? Like, that's uh, just a cat. And so I feel like he was like, did you, did you make that, God, really? It just doesn't seem like you, right? Like, just it's part of the all. The cat. No, I'm just kidding. I like, my wife's a cat person, and I, I'm really not anti-cat, but it's funny to, be anti-cat. So, okay. So God, he gets down, he's running out of names and says, but then we see here, God says, the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. We see the first time God says something's not good. Everything was good. The animals are good. The hippopotamus is good. The cat is good. The grass is good. The mountains are good. The sky is good. It's all beautiful. It's all amazing. And then Adam shows up and he's named all these animals. And I just imagine, too, it's like if, it was, if I was making the romantic comedy from Adam and Eve's creation story, each of the people that are showing up, like each of the creations that are coming to be named are coming in pairs, right, with some type of, like, love song playing in the background, right? And they're rolling in some, some Taylor Swift song out of the Twilight or something. They're all rolling up in there, and it's like Mama and Papa Bear walking before, you know, swinging their hands, and Adam's like... Bear, you know, and the next one's come in. And so he's, he's painfully obvious that there's not another one of him. He can't find a suitable helper anywhere. And so God finally says, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord had um, formed out of the ground of all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. And the man gave names to the livestock 
and the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. Now, it says, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up that place with flesh. Then the Lord God made from a woman, uh, made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Okay, so God realizes that Adam doesn't have a helper. Adam realizes Adam doesn't have a helper. There's nobody like Adam. And so the Lord puts him to sleep and then takes out of him a rib and creates a woman, right? Now, this is essentially the first wedding that we're having. I, um, I, I remember my wedding day today, 12 years ago. I remember what it felt like. Um, looking back on it, there are things I, I, I did that I was just like the selfish kid in the wedding that I wanted to do that I wouldn't do if I had to do it now, but that's okay. And, um, I mean, I walked down the aisle like, bump coming in the side. <laughs> I paid for the tux. Let's do this. And so I made all my groomsmen walk down the aisle, and we all get there first, and then all the ladies came in. And I remember the doors opening and seeing my bride for the first time and how awesome all of that experience was. Now, Adam wakes up from his sleep, and there's a wedding, basically. And God, the Father, is walking the bride down the aisle to Adam. Now, what's unique here is that Adam breaks into basically like poetry, into art. I'm going to save you all the like hokey preacher jokes that I've heard over the years, right? Where they're like, Adam named her woman because he was like, I've heard it both ways. Where he woke up and he hurt. He's like, whoa, man, right? I've heard that one. I've also heard where he saw her. He's like, whoa, man. Right? Like, so, so you can take those if you want to. But he's walking her down the aisle, and then Adam bursts forth into this poetry. You are bone of my bone. Like, I just, I don't know why I think he sounds like Keanu Reeves, but um, you are bone of my bone. <laughs> you are flesh of my flesh. Be excellent. I don't know what he's saying. But um, it says she was taken out of man. And so here he is. He realizes this is what he's been looking for. That's essentially what he's saying. I have, I have realized that this is what I've been looking for, right? He's writing a note down, hoping to Bono finds it later. If you haven't found what you're looking for, her name is Eve. Just saying, right? So he's thinking through it in advance. Why is this weird? Here's why, so here's why this is, it's not, it's not weird, but it's kind of weird. We don't think about it as weird, but here's why it is. Adam had a perfect relationship with God. Perfect. He didn't have sin. Him and God hung out. He was receiving all of the love necessary. He wasn't alone. God was there. Right? So then all of a sudden, we see, though, that God says, hey, it's not good for man to be alone. And then he creates something. And Adam is living in a perfect relationship with God. And Eve shows up, and he's like, whoa, man. Bone of my bone. You complete, like, you complete me. There he is, right there. Jerry Maguire in the garden. Today the part of Adam will be played by Tom Cruise. Right? You, you complete me. Here we are. You are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. That's, why is that weird? I mean, it is, right? He's, he's, he has all he needs from God, and then all of a sudden there's a girl there, and he's like, blah, blah, you. Now, how does that happen? How does, I understand, like, in the, I understand after post, post-fall, post-sin, I understand how we, we engage in these things and how a person can be elevated above our relationship with God. But Adam didn't have that problem yet. Him and God were perfect. Him and God were in the same thing. Now, two things. First of all, well, we'll get to the first one. The first thing is, I think it gives us a glimpse 
into something we have to be careful of in marriage. Adam had a perfect relationship with God. Perfect. Eve shows up, and she's all he could think about for a second. If you, if we are not careful in marriage, it is very, very easy because of the magnitude of marriage and the beauty of marriage and the intimacy of marriage that it is very, very easy for if you're not careful for it to swap on you and you begin to look to that other, your spouse for all the things you should be looking to God for. Right? You begin to putting all of you, what, what matters then is what your spouse thinks of you. What matters then is how your spouse responds to you. What matters then is um, what, am I going to do enough to please her? Am I going, you can really quickly shift off of a relationship of grace with the Father and you can shift very quickly into a relationship of works with that significant other person. The Bible would give that a name, and it's, it's not a fun name that we like to think of in terms of marriage. It's definitely not one you do at weddings, but it's, it's idolatry. Idolatry is where any time where we take something and we put it above God. Now, maybe some of you are not married yet. Good for you, I guess. Um, you have time to get there. I, not, that was not what I meant to say. But um, <laughs> like, <laughs> my wife's like, oh, and we go to lunch. Mm. I'm just kidding. She's not going to do that. She's awesome. Maybe you have, but you're thinking, I don't have that problem, right? I don't have that person. I'm not into that idolatry. Suckers, you guys are on your own. Here's the problem I found. I was uh, 26 years old when I got married. Most of my friends already had babies. They were married, you know, in college. And they were out, and they had four or five-year-old. They had kids going to kindergarten, and I was just getting married. I was excited. Um, I am just telling you that because in our culture, I got married a lot older than a lot of my friends. Um, so I waited a lot longer. The problem that can arise there is you're looking for the, the one, right? You're after the person that's going to complete you. You're looking for Eve somewhere. I looked for her everywhere. And um, I was on the prowl constantly. And what can happen is you are so caught up in waiting to get married that you miss all the benefits of being single with the Lord. Right? Do you know how difficult it would be right now for me to go to, to serve um, with my friend Abby in the Ukraine? Aside from that it's a lot of money. It would be really, really difficult. Why? I'm, I have a, a family. I have a wife and I have currently five children. And, um, like, we do, some of you are like, currently, are you going to get one? We, we do, I feel like we should probably pause. We do foster care, and so today we have a fifth. So, um, we may have a sixth later. We may only have, we don't know. So, it's just sort of a fluctuating thing. Four of them stay at the house all the time. So, um, some of them come and go. Some of you are like, how did you just, is this, who is this guy? He's going to get rid of his kids. It's weird. But, um, if you're single, you could just, right, you just make the plans and hop a plane. Go serve the Lord in the Ukraine. There's all kind of freedom that comes with being single. There's all kind of opportunities that comes with being single. But the problem we find is oftentimes we miss it because we're too busy worried about what's next. Right? I had that dis- discussion with my daughter who was ready to be included in adult conversations. And um, if we're not careful, you can constantly wait and see what is next. You can constantly not be content with where you are, and you can constantly not be centered in where exactly God has you. 
And in that situation, single, longing to be married, it's very easy to elevate that above your relationship with God, the hunt for the right one, right? I think as older I get, the more I'm like, it's Disney. Disney movies got me, right? I'm like waiting for the magic carpet ride. I'm like looking for the girl that's like the right person that they're waiting for. And I found her. It just took a long time. And I realized, I mean, we could talk about the one later. I don't feel like that's true, but you can elevate really easily the idea of being married above what God has for you to do, and it becomes an idol just like, just like marriage. So the first thing I think we need to see here is we have to be very careful and guard against idolatry. Aside from just the fact that it's idolatry, it can absolutely crush you, right? Let's just, and I know Julie loves me to use her as an example, but if I get all of my self-worth from, from her, if I put all of my hopes and all of my self-esteem and all of who I am and all of my purpose and I heap all of that on her, she will crumble under the weight of that, right? She is, she's amazing. But there's no way that she can live up to that. There's no way that she can give me everything that my soul needs. That's not designed for that. She's not designed for that. That's not what this is for. And so then I think that takes us into the second place where we find ourselves. This is God said it's not good, Right? I don't know if Adam really knew that or not beforehand. But God said it's not good. He puts him to sleep. He brings out a woman. He's like, this is who I'm after. You know why else that's got to be weird? Adam doesn't respond that way unless Adam has been created to respond that way. You see what I'm saying? Like he has made, he has made God has made Adam need not just him but other people. Also, I think the second part of being in marriage is difficult off of that is where God says right here, helper, where he says um, no suitable helper was found in verse 20. And then um, he, goes, he goes on down and, and we see that he creates Eve to be a, as helper. Depending on your translation, it's helper. You're going to help mate. You're going to help meet. If you're old school King James, it's awesome. Um, here's what that word in the Hebrew would mean. Um, it's essentially like, it's like military reinforcements. So a lot of times in the Old Testament, God uses that same word to describe himself. I am Israel's helper. I will rush to your aid. I am coming to your need. It does not mean that, she, that the, the Eve is inferior to Adam. It doesn't mean that Adam is inferior to Eve. It's essentially you're outnumbered on a battlefield, right? People are dropping right and left all around you. You're down to a small band of people. The army is advancing. It's attacking. There's no hope. You're overwhelmed. You're outmatched. And then all of a sudden, the reinforcements swoop in, right? And you, you now have the opportunity to win the battle. You now have the opportunity to swing the tide. That's the picture that God's giving us, that Eve has come to be a helper. Now, the, the idea of the helper... It's a, little bit, it's a little difficult, but it's a little confusing. Um, and it's all, but it's also really, really cool. So he makes Eve, bone over bones, flesh of my flesh. Now, the, I, he basically makes them, it's like him, but not like him, right? Like, like Eve is like Adam, as in she is a suitable of his species. She's a suitable companion, but she is not exactly like him. Right? She was designed differently. She was designed with slightly different intentions and slightly different purposes. Now, it doesn't make, it, it doesn't make them wrong. It just makes them different. So, it, you know, like, how can it be like and not like? 
Have you ever tried to put a puzzle together? If you get two pieces that are exactly the same, they don't fit, do they? They're, they're exactly the same. They're not going to fit to each other. They're each looking for a piece. Likewise, if you get a piece that's completely different, even, even my kids can't cram it into the place. It doesn't, make, it doesn't fit. But if you get the one that is alike that one, but yet also different, then it fits, then it matches. They essentially complement one another. So they fit and they join together for an awesome purpose. Again, not one is not more important than the other one. They just, they serve different purposes, they serve different roles, and they continue the same place. Now, so we have on this side over here, we have to watch and be careful that we can, we have idolatry on this end. If we're not careful, we, we slide off into idolatry in our marriage. But on the other end, if we're not careful, we slide off into what I feel like a, a zillion people in America, the culture do, and that's disillusionment, right? Well, we just grew apart, don't love each other anymore, et cetera, et cetera. Now, man, I'm, not, I'm not jumping on divorce this morning. Here's, here's why I think this happens. We... Um, we are trained essentially to be consumers, right? I go get what I want that's going to meet my needs. When it no longer meets my needs, I get a new one, right? Um, I get a, like, um, like there's a cool, really cool refrigerator that I don't need at the Home Depot that has like a touch screen on it that I want it really bad. It would meet my needs awesome, like except for I don't need it because my refrigerator keeps my food cold just fine. But it's new and it's awesome and sometimes we, we get to where we move that direction and we want to slide over to that way and we get disillusioned now. Every time I think of that awesome refrigerator, I get upset with my ghetto refrigerator that's sitting in the corner. Even though my refrigerator is perfectly fine. It's not that anything's wrong with the refrigerator. It's not that I don't love the refrigerator any less. Right? I just want the new refrigerator. Now, um, here's, here's the thing. God has put them in the same space, Correct? He didn't make Eve and then move her to her own condo on a different garden. They're in the same place. They're in the same space. Now, here's, um, here's what happens. Our culture tells us that we're supposed to live, like, happily ever after. Right? That the wedding is the end of all this, the searching and the rest of your life is a glorious, glorious day. Except for it's not true. Fish can laugh because Kristen went to the restroom. So um, he's allowed to do that. So she's not here. Um, it's a glorious, glorious moment. Now, here's why this is a problem. You are the same yet different. Right? He has placed you in the same space. You are the same yet different. Now, here's, man, nothing, I tell people all the time, nothing will rip the lid off of your becoming more and more like Jesus than getting married. Why? They put you in the same space. You, don't, you no longer can hide from each other. You are now who you are, where you are, and you are the product of everything. And it's essentially a collision of worlds, right? I lived my whole life in an entirely different state prior to just three years, two years before I met Julie. Whole, like, no, that's not saying anything's wrong. It's just it was a different culture, and I learned to grow up a different way. She lived her life here in a different culture, in a different way, and we both collided into this new space. Now, naturally, when that happens, there is a butting of heads. 
There just is. No one wants to tell you that in the happily ever after. Happily ever after, they argued forever. Right? No one wants to tell you that. So then we all think that our marriage is not perfect. Therefore, something is wrong. Therefore, if I just scrap it and go get a different refrigerator, it'll be better. And that one will be happily ever after. Clearly, I picked the wrong refrigerator at the beginning. No. Did you know you always pick the wrong refrigerator? Spouse, or, you know, just to make sure we're on the same page, right? You know, you always pick the wrong spouse. <laughs> You're going. Some of you are like, no, dude, don't, don't do that. Don't wait. Don't, they're, not, they're feared. No, don't do that. I'm just saying. Even if it's true, don't, don't nod, right? Like, so, no, no, no. I didn't. I didn't, sweetheart. I didn't, right? Um, here's, here's the thing. You always pick the wrong one. Why? Because you don't, you don't know any of these people. I don't care how long you've been together. You know why you don't know them? They're only them in that situation, in that moment, for a second. 26-year-old me is very different than 38-year-old me. Right? Why? In part, in my life, the most influential part has been my marriage. I can, I can honestly tell you that my bride is not the same girl that I married when she was 19. I won't give her age. You can add 12 years to it. She doesn't care. She's, she doesn't care because for the whole, my whole life she will never feel old because I will say, oh, next year is like we did a big 30th birthday party. She's like, you just wait three years and you're 40. Thanks. <laughs> right? So you always, though, are marrying, you'll always marry the wrong person. You always will because that person is changing. They're changing the way we are changing. It's essentially like a river, like the Grand Canyon, right? It didn't start out like that. Like the river ran through it and continues and continues to carve different spaces out and continues to make beautiful scenery and beautiful things. Now, it's not an easy thing to have happen. It's not an easy world to endure some days. So on the other side, we have this disillusionment where we want to walk away. The one we can put all too much pressure on it. The other side, we want to just throw it all in together. Now, I was, um, uh, just before we get crazy, and it talks about how the woman is only the helper. If we were to look at the New Testament, Ephesians 5 is one of the big passages where it talks about marriage, and it flips it, essentially. It says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. What a flipping, ridiculously hard statement when you think about it. Do you know how Jesus loved me? Holy cow. Right? He got up on a cross. People are shouting insults at him. They're telling you, come down, save yourself. All that John got to be like, you're done. Get up here. He'd have, I'd have been standing behind him if I was gone. All of this he endures. And I am to endure and to love for the glory and the benefit of my bride. I am to invest in her. I am to help, I am to help her become the best version of herself that I can become, help her become. So essentially, we are helping each other. We are Alike, but not alike, right? Opposites, yet same. For the same purpose and the same point and the same goal. I was watching, when I was reading through this guy's commentary, I kept thinking about, oh, we're not the same person. There's a movie, I don't remember it being very good. Um, but I liked it because I like Anne Hathaway. and She was in a movie called Bride Wars. I liked it even more when I went back and found the clip on YouTube and the dude she was breaking up with was Chris Pratt. And I was like, awesome. But um, with that, the reason, at the end, her, spoiler alert, but it's like, what, 2003 when they made the movie, so if you haven't seen it, yeah, sorry. Um, like, also Han Solo dies. And so, um, 
just okay. Just saying, we're just, well, we're just blowing things. Um, so Anne Hathaway, at the end of her movie, breaks up with the guy that she's supposed to marry, and she's like, "You're in love with a girl that you met ten years ago." I remember watching that, and thinking, "Wow, how scary! How scary! What if tomorrow Julie wakes up and goes, I 'I didn't sign up for you.'" <laughs> and that's where we—that's where we find ourselves. But here's the deal. That's the beauty of it. We're, we're shaping each other. We're growing to be more and more like Christ, oftentimes through scuffle. We're learning to love each other more, oftentimes through arguments, oftentimes through disagreements. It's not we've put too much pressure on having this happily ever after. It is a happily ever after. They're just lying to you when you think that they would say, we just never fight ever. I'm like, this is Jesus' weight. We didn't either a lot, but a couple times. Like, it's God has placed you in this place, not necessarily even just to make you happy, but to make you holy and to form you and to be more and more like him and to use them as a tool to do that. So here's, I am. Um, we were leaving yesterday. I was supposed to leave and go work at the building yesterday morning. And my son comes to me, and he's going to come later, and right? he wants to come. And so he wants to wear these shoes. He's a, he's a fashion diva. And um, they're not cool shoes. I think they were just like, whatever. They were the shoes he wanted to wear. They were tennis shoes. And he brought them to me, and they had this Velcro strap. He's like, I want to wear these shoes. I'm like, great choice with the shoes. Just leave your whatever shoes you want to wear, bud. And he's like, I can't wear these, Dad. I'm like, why? I need you to fix them. I need to fix them. He's like, can we tape them back together? Tape fixes everything, by the way. Can we tape them back together? I'm like, I'm not taping your shoes. I don't even know what's wrong with them, but I'm not taping them. And so he hands them to me, and the entire Velcro piece had come off the back of his strap of shoes. And I'm like, oh. He's like, can you fix it, Dad? Of course I can fix it, Dad. Right? So I go to the laundry room, and I get a needle and thread, and I start stitching his shoes back together. When I was trying to stitch his shoes back together, I'm reminded of how very difficult it is to thread a needle. The older I get and the less I'm good at, my eyes are good at it. And so I'm sitting there with the needle and the thread, and it's like, whoop, no. Whoop, no. I'm like, no lie. Like, I'm half awake. I'm throwing Velcro on my kid's shoes and the thing. I'm supposed to be somewhere. And then finally, finally you get it. Essentially, what marriage is asking us to do is we've got to thread the needle in between. We have a dollar tree over here. We have disillusionment over here. We've got to run. We've got to tow the line. We've got to thread it down the middle so that we can live productively and happily in marriage the way God intended for us to do. Again, happily with disagreements and happily with butting of heads, and, but not, not straying into idolatry and not straying into just, I'm going to go buy a new fridge. So here's how we do that, I think. I think it goes back to that statement and the thought that Adam is lonely, or he's not good for him to be alone, because God made him that way. I want you to think of how humble that statement is, how humble that thought is, that the God of the universe, when he created human beings, created them not just to need him, but to also need each other. Like that's, that's tremendously humbling. That he, was, he would bring himself low 
to make sure that he would, like, I'm pretty sure if I would have created it, I'd have been like, I want you to just love me. It'd be awesome. Everything will be fun. You'll be my little person, and you'll love me, and everything will be amazing, and you'll be all about me. And God says, not just that, but you need to be about each other. Not just your spouse, but people in general. The Bible tells us a bunch that God is, um, like he gives us a big illustration, which is tough for me as a, as a dude to grab some days, but that we, God is our husband and we are his bride, right? And it comes again, is this, this is going to be this glorious wedding. So the Bible's starting with a wedding and it's going to end with a wedding. Now the cool thing about this is there's a couple things that you can take out of that, that understanding that God is our husband. Um, we need God. <laughs> Not just, and like, we don't just need to believe in God. We don't just need to like, need to obey God. We need God the way we would need a spouse, the way we need that person. God, Jesus, is ultimately the best helper ever. He's the ultimate helper. He shows up. He meets our needs. He strengthens us when we are down. He picks us up. He holds the promises. He never disappoints. He never fails. Um, Now, he's like us and not like us. We are created in his image. So we're like him. But then also... He's perfect and holy, and we unfortunately are not. So we're not there yet, and so we're not like him. When he comes at the end, though, he's going to do away with all of that, right? And so he also basically means when, I, um, when a guy proposes to his, his future wife, he gets to the point where there's not a different, there's no other option, right? Like I got to the point where there was the option was between marrying her and having her for the rest of my life or not, and it wasn't a choice. There wasn't a choice to not have her anymore. It pushed me to that point in time where I was like, I'm going to get down on one knee and my, give you this sad little diamond ring and ask you to be mine forever because there's no other option. We have exhausted that. Other, there's no other way around it. See, that's ultimately what Jesus has done for us. There's no other way around it. We, he, we have his heart. We are entangled in his heart to the point where he came to earth, right, to settle things and to make things right. And what's the Bible tell us? John 1, it says he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. <laughs> so he comes to make it right. He comes to rescue us from the situation we've created for ourselves and what do we as human beings do? We crucify him and hang him up on a tree. We kill him, we spurn him, we mock him. So summarizing all of that means what? It means that Jesus is the best spouse in the history of the world. And we are the worst. <laughs> and he is in the longest lasting horrible marriage there is. He is constantly pouring himself out. We are constantly slapping him away. We are constantly disobeying. We are constantly choosing our own way over his way. Here's what's comforting, I think. He knew who we were, right? He knew who we were. We say, well, I said before, you can't, you never marry the right person. He knew who we were, who we were going to be. He didn't have any illusions of grandeur. He wasn't looking for me to become some romantic movie person. He wasn't looking for me to be the perfect anything. He knew exactly who I was, and he came anyway. He knew what would happen to him. He knew what he would have to do, and he came anyway. He came to lay down his life so that we might live. Here's what's neat about that. One, when you realize that, 
it has to change how you interact with Jesus, right? When I realize that I am a constant failure and yet he loved me and I, am, I have his heart. I used to tell kids when I would teach the preschool um, in my first church that um, Jesus has your picture hanging on his refrigerator. It seems hokey, but at the same time, as a parent, all the pictures that are hanging on my refrigerator are the ones my kids have drawn and given to me. Why? Because they have, they have my heart. There's a picture taped to my wall because I was sick and in bed for two days and my son drew this picture that I love you, Dad, get well, and taped it still on my wall and it makes me smile because he has my heart, right? Like Julie has my heart. So I'm willing to do things for her that I wouldn't do for anybody else. Like cut carpet and build big bookshelves, things that I don't do well, right? Jesus has poured out his life so that you and I might live now. When Julie and I got married 12 years ago, she got the good and she got the bad. Um, not just in terms of like me, but in terms of like possessions too. Like when, she, when I married her, she had a neat little love seat that was, um, we fell in love on. We watched Moja movies and we just talked about life and we decided we were supposed to be together on that love seat. And so it was kind of neat. It was poetic. It was our love seat. And so um, it was her love seat. And when we got married, and it became our love seat, right? I had a house before we got married, and it was my house. And then we got married, and it was now her, our house. Um, also, I had, I'm pretty sure, a car payment. And that became now our car payment, right? Like, so she got the good, but she also got the bad. I had a golden retriever. Now it became our golden retriever for a long time after that, too. And so she was, she was good with my dog. Right? But so the point is, you get the good and the bad possession-wise, correct? All your possessions now become joint possessions. Her car was my car. My car was her car. Her pets and my pets, they all lived together. All her things came to my house. They all became our things. She had to deal with the carpet in my kitchen. Who put carpet? That's somewhere in the 70s. Now, here's my point. When Jesus comes to be our spouse, we get all of the things that he has, and he gets all of the things that we have. That's good for us. Why? Because prior to meeting Jesus, intersecting him, what do we have? <laughs> we have sin. We have death. We have hell. And what does he have? He has grace. He has forgiveness, salvation. He has joy, life, right? So then what happens? They become ours. He gets all of my sin and my death and hell. And I get grace and forgiveness and salvation. I think that is how we thread that needle. That we, we focus on the fact that Jesus, in his humility, loved us not because we were lovely, but to make us lovely. He came to bring us life, to take away our death, to take away our pain, to take away our sin. And when we push and focus into that, we don't stray into idolatry because we see the greatest spouse ever is right before us. And we don't slide off into disillusionment because we realize that he is using our spouse to form us to be more and more like him. So it's only when we focus on him. Here's our last thing. 
the first wedding. The purpose was to fill the world with children. And ultimately, ultimately it failed. It didn't fill the earth with children the way the Lord intended for it to fill the earth with children. It brought sin and death into the world. Because the first Adam was not there to help his wife when she needed him. But the last wedding, where the purpose is to fill the new earth with the children of God, will succeed because the true and better Adam, the perfect bridegroom, will not fail. He does not let us down. He is there whenever we need him in abundance. And that is good. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you have come to make a way where there was no way. We thank you that you are our spouse, and on days that things are hard, you are there to pick us up. You are the ultimate helper. You are the ultimate comforter. You are the ultimate leader and wisdom caregiver. Lord, may we push into you, whether we are still searching for a spouse or we are... um, in the, in the beautiful thing that you have given us, the magnificent thing of marriage. May we not get caught up in adultery and idolatry. May we not grow weary and cast aside those which you have, that which you have given us. Help us to focus on you and see how much, how humble and how, how much you have sacrificed us. And out of that love, May we push that love onto others. May we, may we realize that even if we've been wronged, we can forgive because we've wronged you in a way even far greater than that. So Lord, we love you. And it's our privilege to be your bride. It's in your name we pray. Amen.